0: what's up everyone welcome to the finance for physicians podcast i'm your host daniel Ren. join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives you can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. let's jump into today's episode today we're going to be talking more about the bigger picture of what do-it-yourself investment management looks like to help you better understand this i'm chatting with a client of ours about his experience taking this on in his first year in practice Keep in mind, this route is definitely not for everyone. I think it really depends on your situation and personal interests. All of you are definitely 100% capable of doing this yourselves, but just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. My hope today is that you can learn what it looks like to do this the right way and gain more clarity on whether or not you really wanna take this on yourselves. I'm excited to be here with you today and talk with a very special guest. He's a financial planning client of ours as well. He's taken the path of do-it-yourself investing. And in our planning firm, we have plenty of clients going this direction. But what's been so special and unique about this situation and this particular client is how quickly and accurately he implemented our high-level investment advice. And after only about a year of doing this, I can confidently say he's doing it the right way and for the right reasons. My guest today is Dr. Chris Roach. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Excited to chat. So we got started, what was it, about a year, year and a half ago working together? Yeah, I think
1: I just was finishing fellowship. About a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's crazy how the world has changed since then, by the way.
1: <laughs> I Yeah. After graduating Critical Care Fellowship, coming in straight into a pandemic has been uh, an interesting way to start off the career.
0: All right. So Chris, so what would you say like when we started working together, what would you say your investing knowledge and experience was like kind of around that time? So
1: I think I knew kind of how the stock market worked. I, I had had a Vague understanding of what a ETF or a mutual fund was in, in the sense that it was a, a basket of other assets. But beyond that, you know, expense ratios and active versus passively managed funds, those kinds of, and even more the nitty gritty stuff, I didn't really have much of an understanding of.
0: Yeah. So you had some kind of basic knowledge, but, but, uh,
1: yeah, that's correct. I, you know, I, I think I was in college, I'd bought some stocks or what have you that, uh, you know, were, I thought might do well and, and, Only more than like a dozen
0: shares, nothing nothing serious. Yeah. So our process in working with people, we help to kind of create a financial plan covering all aspects of your life. And then part of that is for most people is like an investment plan. And so then, you know, that's just the planning part. Then comes the executing phase. So we give clients the choice of whether to do it themselves or hire us to help manage those investments for them. So at that point, you chose the DIY path what was your reasoning behind that? What prompted you to do that?
1: It's a good question. There's probably several aspects to it to answer the question fully. I think my personality is I'm just a very curious person about the world. I mean, I still I still change my own oil and, and work on work on cars just because I like how in learning how things work. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction in in learning for me learning how things work and having a you know doing a job that you know maybe you didn't know how to do before or just doing a job yourself. And while well, there's a inherent satisfaction that comes out of that. And I was very curious about finances and, and re, you know rebalancing portfolios and, and just learning about the whole process and just, just learning about the market and the dynamics of everything. I think that was kind of the background. That I was, and I, I think in the, in the beginning, I didn't even know if it was possible to do myself. I just was interested in exploring the possibility of doing it in the first place.
0: Yeah, well, I think what's different about you and what I think is Really important to point out is that you had interest and curiosity, and also kind of lean DIY. You like kind of getting your hands dirty. You like to kind of understand how things work, and that's I, I think that's just important to point out because not everybody's like that, right?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose that's a big difference between me and maybe other clients. Um, some people would just rather have a professional like you and your your group take care of all of that and. Have no desire to be in, involved in that. And I can understand that. I think it's just for me, like it was the desire to learn about it and be committed to learning about the process and, you know, just getting my hands dirty and, and uh,
0: doing it myself. So let's talk about getting your hands dirty. So, like early on, you're getting started, you're just creating the accounts, looking for the different brokerage firm to, to choose from, all those initial steps. What was that like, kind of the early phase of getting everything set up and started?
1: it was challenging in a sense it was challenging in one it wasn't i already had fidelity from residency so um my current occupation and my wife's current occupation both use fidelity for the for the 403b uh, and 401k stuff so in that sense it was easy because we were using the same brokerage but it was kind of it was kind of this really tall mountain that you weren't sure you could climb you're kind of staring at the bottom staring at it from the bottom and it was a pretty overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn. Is this even possible? That, that's kind of that's kind of how it felt in the beginning. Um, is if this might be an insurmountable task, and to get from A to B was going to be a lot of effort,
0: no doubt. Yeah, and I think a lot of people see that and they're like, I'm just gonna pass on this. Or, uh, but you kind of charged through it. What was the difference there? Like, what made you kind of like say, I'm gonna rock this out?
1: I think it was just genuine curiosity about. The markets and how they work and and just wanting to be a part of the the process of, of balancing the portfolio and actively contributing money from my paychecks and bank account into the respective accounts for retirement and, you know, kids' college funds and whatnot. It just seemed like a genuinely fun thing to get to know how to do and,
0: and learn about. Yeah. Do you, do you, is there anything in particular you could think of that was most intimidating, like were there any, was it just the whole thing itself? or
1: No, because I, I was pretty motivated to look up the bits and pieces, the nuts and bolts, if you will. But I think I was just looking at maybe it's like a you go to Ikea and you, you you see in their showroom like a really nice couch. And then it comes in a box that doesn't even look close to what the couch looks like. And you unpack it and there's just nuts and bolts and tools and pieces of wood everywhere. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be. What this have I got myself be,
0: into,
1: yeah exactly, yeah, um, so I think that's that was mostly it i th- I think you know i was I was eager and definitely involved in like looking everything up that I possibly could, but it was just the overall picture that was intimidating, I think the, getting from a to b from the the foot to the top of the mountain,
0: yeah, I think I remember you were kind of going through- s- security selection, I guess you would technically call, it, but like picking the actual funds you were going to use and like that in itself can be in, like, intimidating when there you know there's a bajillion funds i mean you go and then there's 17 different variations of every single fund and they each have different share classes and a lot of what yeah. happens when you get in that lots of options mode is you freeze you get paralysis analysis but i think you did a good job kind of just taking a step right so you can always improve upon it doesn't have to be perfect i guess and i think Maybe that's even a challenge in medicine is because you kind of have com- come up with a career track that it's um, I mean, I want my physician to be close to perfect as possible. And I'm sure that that's the expectation in medicine as you you um, kind of seek to uh, be as close to perfection as possible. But with investing, it's kind of messy. It's like, what is perfection? How do you how do you measure that? And um, but you you seem to kind of gravitate easily into that mode of just making a decision, even though it wasn't necessarily the perfect choice. But what was it like that? For, what was that like for you?
1: Well, I think it was a goal. I was very goal oriented from the get-go. And I think I, I knew in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not investing a cent until I get this thing figured out. You know, get the framework up and and start to you know dive into the nuts and bolts and don't invest a penny until you've got a good understanding of what you're doing. And, uh, and of so when you get to that point, then you, then you start to go from there. I remember, you know, it was going through, okay, well, my goal is, is to be able to, I mean, see if I can even do this thing on my own and then do this thing on my own. Um, and you'd sent over the asset allocation chart that you guys had. And I was like, okay, well, let's go from there. Let's find assets, you know, that I can purchase that would, let's make a spreadsheet. Let's uh, dive into which assets I could use to, to fill that, that, um, asset allocation chart. And, you know, I just remember sending you like, you know, here's what I'm thinking, maybe these ones here. And then, you know, you were saying, well, okay, this, you have some active and some passively managed, you know, you probably should not have both. You should probably stick to passive in fact. So I had to learn about that. I didn't even really know what that meant. And then, <laughs> you know, then having to, you said, okay, well, this is a good, these, this is good. They're all passively managed funds, but you know, you're, you're, you're going through for a growth stock here. Like, why not? Why, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, I don't even (laughs) know what that means. I don't even know what that means. So, Uh, what is that? Yeah, and uh, so large versus small and medium cap and all this other stuff. Just back and forth, having to. It's like it was nice to have you through the process because you know I could have that freedom to make mistakes without investing anything. But you were there to guide me through and, and ask all the right questions that would set me off on another Google search frenzy.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, there's different ways to learn and our, our goal is to help people shortcut their way to learning something. And nowadays you can, that's the thing. You can get all the information you ever want to know. There's information overload, you know, that's not a matter of not enough information. It's just a matter of sorting through all that. Was there any particular like sources outside of just talking with us? Did you read any particular books or do you have any kind of go to? places to get information on this type stuff?
1: Yeah, of course. Like you said, I mean, you are an invaluable resource because there's just there's information everywhere and and you can't possibly sort through all of that if you're starting from a pretty basic place of of knowledge and investing and finance. Um, So that was, you know, you sent me out, you sent me in the right directions when I needed it most. And that was invaluable. But I think Bogleheads was was excellent. I found them to be, you know, very, very, very helpful and succinct there's some white coat investor stuff, but I don't think they got into the nuts and bolts in their book, at least their forums do, but you got to be careful even in, even on online forums because you, you can still get a lot of information and maybe not the best information and maybe not information that would be most useful to yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are good. I, those I agree The Bogleheads heads is excellent. They've been around for a while too. So you can go back like you know, years and years on conversations and, kind of see how things work. So like, I know that first phase is always, you know, the most time consuming. What would you estimate just that kind of first hurdle of getting all the accounts set up and getting the mechanisms, you know, getting the funding going, getting, selecting this the securities, like from start to finish, what would you estimate time-wise on your end?
1: Yeah. So I would say a couple months at least. Uh, I think a few months probably. Yeah. And Setting up the accounts and, and figuring out how much, you know, needs to go where was, was definitely part of it. But like the dynamics of how you the balance it took a while and, and and you know how you allocate between different, you know, brokerage account and your tax deferred account and your tax free accounts. I think that figuring that out was also a part of it, which I think I've learned more about that since I've started
0: investing. But mm-hmm. what do you think hours wise? If you had to- oh gosh <laughs> this is no, a really this is an unfair <laughs> question but let's say look we can give you some ranges like uh zero to 50 zero to 25 zero to 50 i don't know some, some general rough estimate
1: it's over 100 hours i don't i mean if, if, the thing is, is you go down so many rabbit holes because like you said there's there's a plethora of information that you have to kind of sort through and figure out what's important and what's not and you Generally, don't until you get into the rabbit hole, figure out what's important about it and what you need to know. But I over—I would say over a hundred hours before I felt confident enough to get my feet in the water.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you have now gone through your first, I guess, pretty big downturn. <laughs> and how has that been? I mean, it's you're kind of early in the game, but um, have you felt any of the emotional tugs at all, like the temptations or the whether to like, for instance, I mean, I even I feel it myself like when in March and April, I was like, hmm, that stock has lost X value. It's a really good company. I'm sure it's going to recover its t- temptation to, to potentially buy individual stocks or or, um, you know, change the strategy or, or or even be like, well, I do my monthly deposits on the first of the month. But let's wait how, and see how this month comes out. But did you have you felt any of those temptations or emotional pulls?
1: Yeah, of course. That's that's part of being human. I think is 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 feeling that. And I have a, one of my best friends is a huge Tesla investor, and he's got a good chunk of change in there, and he's been trying to get me in, in <laughs> invested in Tesla. And and then uh, once I got into the independent world of practicing medicine, and everyone's got thoughts, you know about different stocks that you should be investing in. And and I think you just have to, you have to, all that time I invested, you know, I was like, well, this is the plan and that's what I'm sticking to. And as long as I'm meeting all those, you know, requirements monthly, you know, into this account, X, Y, and Z money, um, anything beyond that. And what I need, you know, monthly expenses or what have you, eventually I might try to pick stocks or something like that. But during the downturn, no, I mean, you know, I guess in a a sad way, it was like, I was kind of excited because I, you know, I got all this, I'm making money now and it's during a downturn. So I should be buying, 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 you know?
0: Right. Well, that's the right mentality. I mean, that's a lot of people that tells me something about your level of knowledge and experience already. Like there's a fair amount of people that really just haven't gotten there yet.
1: One of my, I I have a colleague who actually, he said, because the market was doing so poorly, he said, I'm going to stop contributing to my retirement account. And I was like, no, that's the that's the exact opposite. You should you should now is the time, especially when you're in your 30s, you know, and the market
0: is taking this huge dip. So, yeah, it's a it, we had a fair amount of clients that stopped contributing or, or or wanted to change the strategy and whatnot. It's funny how that I mean, it re- repeats itself in the emotional times. It's like the worst time to do it, yet the most tempting uh, emotionally or the most challenging time. Emotionally, when something, I guess human nature, when something's broken, you're going to want to fix it and people are just looking for ways to fix it. So what's been your routine kind of on an ongoing basis? So I know we talked a little bit about the front end, like, you know, picking the securities, setting up the accounts. You went with Fidelity, just, you know, it happened to be that you already had accounts there. So that was pretty straightforward. You kind of built an asset allocation based on our recommended asset allocation and kind of pick the different accounts to put your different securities in. That's all kind of what I would call uh, front-end preliminary steps. And then you get into the phase of like starting to actually fund the accounts and regular funding and you know rebalancing maybe even and tax loss harvesting and all, there's all kinds of ongoing tasks. So what's that look like for you? Yeah, it's it's,
1: it's kind of weird, but you know, whenever I get a paycheck, cause this was much more in the beginning because you're kind of in that honeymoon period of you know you're. you're you're doing this all yourself and now you're starting to make the money to to do it. It was, was kind of this honeymoon period where you're like very excited when you get that paycheck. And for me, it was like a lot of people they're very excited because now they can go buy X, Y, Z, or they can go out to this high end restaurant. For me, it was like, all right, now I can invest this in the stock market. You know, it was kind of like this nerdy moment where I was like, all right, here here we go. It's in the beginning, I was on the account all the time, just looking at stuff and, and uh, kind of just watching things closely but I have uh, just maybe a, a Google Sheets that I use that has you know I pasted the asset allocation onto it and all my accounts are listed and how much is in each and then you know how much allocation to each asset class I have and it helps you just say well I gotta buy X number of this now a little more tricky because you gotta balance it between three different types of accounts and it has you know the tax implications that you have to consider for that but um, now it's pretty much a buy buy a weekly thing now that I just, you know, log into the Fidelity and, and see what's happening. If there's, you know, 4, 3B cash or whatever, I'll, or I'll transfer money from my bank account to put it into the brokerage account to go from there. But it's surprisingly, once once you make that, once you get past that initial first steps and, and get moving with it, it, it's surprisingly not that time consuming to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a little task every biweekly, basically, like a, you know, check in every. So as far as like time estimate for that, that's maybe harder, not quite as hard as the, on the front end, but w- would you have a good idea of what that time commitment would be on a ongoing basis for this, just the kind of the upkeep and the regular check-ins maybe per month or something or not more than an hour per month, uh, like 30 minutes a month or something like that. 45, you
1: know? Yeah. Somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of the time is just sort of, Changing the numbers in the spreadsheet and updating balances in the spreadsheet and stuff like that. So,
0: have you had a Have you been able to do tax loss harvesting yet? No, no.
1: But that uh, that's something we're gonna have to talk about. in a separate conversation. I, that's definitely something I. It's so I'll take a step back. So I have a book, like a little, like what kind of like not like a diary book, but something you can carry around in your pocket. That's you know got pages on it, and I carry that around you wherever I go usually. And in that every month I have, okay, this is how much you need to put into this account. This is how much you need to put into this account. This is how much you need to put into this account. Uh, So everywhere I go, I'm carrying that with me and I can just look and see what I need to do. And it's also a to-do list in a longer term, you know, than the week days to weeks to months kind of thing, things that I need to get accomplished. Also on there besides the amounts that I need to contribute to accounts are (laughs) on the to-do list is to discuss with you tax-loss harvesting because I I, before it's a similar situation before I want to before I jump into it I want to have like a good understanding of what I'm doing and there are some pieces missing that before
0: yeah I uh, jump into it yeah and that's that's uh, one of those things I would kind of that's in the ongoing management kind of category of of tasks so the normal tasks ongoing are pretty small like you know incremental monthly check-ins you just have to basically direct where the new money goes but then usually when there's volatile markets you have kind of additional things to do or you should be thinking about like rebalancing becomes important potentially if the market's all up and down because it messes up your percentages and then some something like tax loss harvesting can come into play and we can definitely circle back to that after this podcast but (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's where the time commitment goes up a little bit but it's not um it's not an insane, you definitely not the type of time commitment that you put in on the front end of this thing, but it does add a little bit more time and you, it's something you have to kind of keep a pulse on, I guess, like our clients have that have got that are really, really busy, have sometimes a hard time keeping a pulse on, you know, what's going on even in the markets, you know, especially when it's not in the news, I guess. So that's kind of the challenge there, but, um, so if you're talking with like a colleague of yours that's, um, you know, where you were at, maybe maybe you're still in training. So before we even started working together, and they're just just kind of thinking about all this stuff, they're thinking about investing. They're like, I, you know, what do I need to do? Which looking to you for advice on like how to navigate the transition. What sort of suggestions would you have for them in terms of, you know, how to navigate that or you know sources of information or that sort of thing.
1: Well, I. I've definitely referred, uh, you know, some people to you. Cause I think like for me, when you're, when you're in the medical field, like you're pretty committed to just that. So it's really hard to find time to dedicate yourself to f- finances. You're just been so committed to you know, med school and, and residency and fellowship. There's just no time to oftentimes, and especially if you have a family, there's just no time to get involved. So I definitely recommend, you know, a fiduciary like yourself, um, Especially if, if there's no interest at all in financial stuff. You just want somebody who's going to take care of you financially. Yeah, especially if there's no interest. Exactly. And I I mean, we both know people that are like that. And that's, you know, some people are busy and they're just not interested in it. So, you know, it's they want to take care of their future. It's totally understandable. And uh, that would be... I would first gauge, sort of, like what is your interest in doing it yourself, and if it just isn't there, then you got to have somebody who is a, a fiduciary like yourself, who you know isn't trying to sell you a product necessarily, but it's got your financial
0: well-being as their first priority. Yeah, I think that's where you had it had had, had taken a good path. There is what you had the interest of wanting to get your hands dirty and do it yourself. You had the, you're at a good time in your life, like transitioning into practice, but you didn't, you didn't go like completely on your own. You kind of like did a, uh, quasi DIY. Like you're not, you know, you, you hired an advisor and you're doing it yourself. So it's not, um, that's the other thing. A lot of people I don't think realize is there's all kinds of arrangements out there for different, uh, circumstances. And I think there's a small segment of positions that are, wanting to completely do it a hundred percent themselves and have no input from others. And so, you know, that's okay too, for those people, there's, 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 you know, they're, they're going to save a lot of, you know, fees paying other people to help them. But uh, for, for most people, it's like, okay, more about what do you need help with and what's what are your interests? And so finding the right person, the help is, is sometimes tricky, but so yeah, so how did you 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 connect with us through a colleague of yours, right? Is that how we originally got connected?
1: Yeah, somebody i had worked with in residency and fellowship.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a good kind of way to look for you know help or maybe, uh, but you have to be careful with that too, because you know you never know what your colleague is their what their experience has been or who who they've worked with. I have plenty of uh, people I've come across that have found us after working with a kind of a sales product sales advisor and was typically recommended by a colleague and they eventually kind of figured it out. But
1: yeah, we had uh, plenty of financial advisors come through and and take us to dinners and stuff like that. Try to get us under their, under their, um, under their wing. And, uh, I have some of my colleagues during those dinners committed to their services and, and, uh, I haven't really touched base too much about how that's going, but, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I did learn the difference between a fiduciary and a financial advisor was, was very important and, uh, far more appealing to have a fiduciary.
0: What are the dinners like?
1: <laughs> I mean, they're pretty nice. You know, they, it's just a presentation and they're trying to, you know, explain what their services are. And, uh, it's usually I think the ones we went to were at a nice, nicer restaurant. So we kind of wined and dined a bit and, uh, you know, kind of just getting your information down, and you know they'll send you emails after that. Try to get you to a few glasses of wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which it was concerning a little bit to me because you knew it's like, well, why are they why are they whining and dining me? You know, what's what's what are they trying to sell?
0: You know, what types of people do you think went with that kind of service?
1: So I think probably if I had to guess, it's probably people who are are concerned about their financial future, but they just don't know anything about it. It took me a little while. I didn't, I didn't know the difference between a fiduciary and a financial advisor. So I think people, generally speaking, want to want to be financially secure and do the right thing for their retirement and everything. But I just don't think there's a lot of knowledge about, in general about, I have to explain all the time to colleagues what a fiduciary is as opposed to a financial advisor. Um, I don't think they knew the difference. And maybe they were like, okay, well, you know, they're going to help me plan for retirement. And I don't really know what I'm doing. So sure, let's do it
0: yeah, I think that's part of the issue is a lot of the type of person that's, you know, probably not wanting to worry about it at all is going to hire somebody at the steak dinner event. They're just like, you take care of it. I don't want to worry about it. But that kind of person is also probably the most prone to getting in a situation where they're potentially getting taken advantage of. And so. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think I think those people, same people, probably don't really understand what the difference between a financial advisor and a fiduciary is. And if they did, and they were really explained carefully what that meant, they might have you know not sought out
0: a a financial advisor as opposed to a fiduciary. Yeah, and maybe they—that's the other thing. The financial advisor is seeking them out.
1: Yeah, that's that's (laughs) that's a good point. I guess I've not thought of that. They're they're always just kind of they're sending out the. You know, the emails, the spam emails and, and just trying to get you to, I still get them to this day. I mean, I was referred to you by a friend. It's not, I never saw you advertise anywhere. And we certainly had not had a steak dinner.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, I, we can't afford a steak dinner. <laughs> I don't know. We, uh, our, our clients come to us. It's a it's a different um, setup than uh, the steak steak dinner setup. That's kind of a sales approach. Exactly. Is what ends up happening. It's a sales engagement typically.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't, I still don't think I've seen you advertise, but I because I know I, I refer people to you constantly. Whenever people ask, like, who I use,
0: I mean, it's it's a it's like a physician. You know, they might advertise here and there and to get the brand their name out, but you don't see physicians doing steak dinners to get try patients, to get, yeah. get patients in the door. Yeah. <laughs> that would be probably frowned upon. My dad is a physician, and he's in
1: his fifties. He he didn't know until I explained to him. He didn't know the difference between a fiduciary and a financial advisor. He decided, hey, I'm gonna put half. He, he just sold his practice, and he's gonna put half of his money into a fiduciary versus a financial advisor, and just see kind of where things go. He was like, I didn't
0: even know that. So, yeah, good. Well, it's it's a our industry has not done a great job, but we've kind of actually made it very difficult to tell the difference. We all. Kind of- <laughs> look the same unfortunately but.
1: Well, I think the reputation of a fiduciary is, is going, eventually just going to win out over that you know it's just a matter of time I, I'd rather pay for advice than somebody to sell me something that I don't necessarily need and might just be profiting somebody else I think that model will just win over time I hope so I wish there
0: were more people out there like you but <laughs> uh, well Chris thanks for sitting down and chatting with me about this today and I appreciate your time for sure Of course. And thanks for everything you've done for us. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor.